Hello, and welcome to the With Locals Unlocking Culture podcast. Peggy here. This podcast carves paths towards cultural understanding by unlocking the doors of different cultures around the world. Food, music, history, art, lifestyle. We talk about everything related to culture through the eyes of the locals with diverse passions and coming from all walks of life. With Locals is a platform where travelers and locals alike connect to explore a city and its culture together through similar passions and interests. Experiences are offered both online and offline. This week, we visited London and Barcelona and talked to two of our fashionista hosts to discuss the topic of fashion. Where does it come from and where is it going? Is fashion a thing of the past? Is sustainable fashion a case of culture or class? We bring in two hosts with unique backgrounds to diverge into some of these questions. We, as humans, are for the most part fashionable, whether we think so or not. There is a reason that we dress the way we do. The fashion industry is a $1.5 trillion industry in which demand has risen 400% in the last 20 years. But the question is, is fashion a case of class or culture? Can we all afford to be fashionable? Things are changing and sustainable fashion is in trend. Let's understand more about the industry and uncover the history and culture behind it and ask our fashion experts, where is the industry going? So, hello, guys. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having us. How are, you, how are you doing today? Good, 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 good. Nice. Uh, so let's start with a, a round of introductions. Um, Luciana, do we want to start with you? Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and a little about your background in fashion as well? Sure, of course. Um, okay, so I'm Luciana. I was born in Argentina where I studied fashion design. Um, and 21 years ago, I came to London to specialize in fashion trend analysis and forecasting, uh, after which I moved to Paris, stayed there for a couple of years. And then went back home, um, where I started a slow fashion brand uh, and worked there for a few years. And a, a bit over three years ago, I came back to London and started fashion trips uh, after finishing my fashion designer career, um, because I basically had had enough of manufacturing. It just didn't make sense to me anymore. What do you mean by, uh, oh, manufacturing? Yeah, designing, okay. making clothes, yeah. the whole process of manufacturing and the seasons. Even though my brand was a slow fashion brand and seasons were not really a thing, I guess in a way seasons were still there. So you had mm -hmm. to go all the th go through all the process of manufacturing and, and the sales parts at the end of the season, etc. Because, mm -hmm. well, you're part of a system, I guess. Yeah. Um, and at the end of... Uh, I think it was 2015 that it just it just didn't feel like the right path for me anymore so I decided to put an end to that career and move back to to the UK okay and what's kind of your feelings with fashion just now do you kind of not like to kind of go near it or are you still really passionate about it in some kind of ways um I've always had a love-hate relationship with the industry uh in in many ways um but i do like some parts of the fashion industry i think there's some really interesting people working in it mm -hmm. um and we're going to discuss sustainability today and there's some people doing things really well in that in that area so yeah i do i do love and hate fashion still <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i think that's how i started fashion tricks in a way because i still love uh, some parts of the fashion industry and i wanted to share everything that I had learned uh, all these years, but this time um, with experiences, basically. So I stopped designing clothes and products and started designing experiences, I guess. Nice. Cool. And uh, Arge, I think you need to help me with the pronunciation of your name. Teo. Pardon, say again? Teo. Uh, Teo. Yeah. Ah, okay. I'm trying to say the the, the long. No, version. no, I know, I know, I know. My full names are Helia Teo, but but uh, all the my friends they are no Spanish speaker call me Teo. It's okay. no, it's like what you uh, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. Uh, 
Uh, I was born in Venezuela and I studied there architectural university and then I moved to New York to make a master about management and design on fashion and retail. And then I moved to Barcelona <laughs> to study in fashion stylist and I started working in Barcelona as a in branding and rebranding. And then I moved to Tokyo. And I worked there for two, three years in the fashion industry. There I realized uh, how bad the industry is going on. Uh, probably uh, Tokyo uh, fast fashion is, is not created in, in Japan, but probably is the country that you can see the best example of that. And then I finished my work there. I moved back to Barcelona. That is, I was working for some brands, major brands for a while, but that I was really not so comfortable with that. And I started to work on movies and as a fashion designer, a fashion and wardrobe department. I worked there. I still work in there. Not, not as I was before because it was my full-time job, but I'm... I don't want to wake up early. I don't, don't want to lie, okay? I don't want to lie to anybody. Why? I don't want to work a movie that matches because I have to wake up at too, too early or I have to go to bed too late. And uh, it's too much. <laughs> I have to work too much. That's why I don't like to work, basically. Okay. Uh, that's the main reason that I don't, I don't like to work. Um, well, and then... Uh, at the same time, at the same time, I was working in movies. Just uh, basically a few years ago, I discovered this about I can teach uh, about fashion to other people, and I started working as a fashion teacher in in the in some schools. And at the same time, I do fashion experience as Luciana, and I try to. Yeah, in some way, teach the people or make the people understand uh, where the fashion industry is going is the worst. After weapon is the worst industry. We'll be talking about that a little bit later, but yes, I try and try. I still being so fashionable because I'm really, really in love with fashion. I the appear, the, the garment, and everything. And I, but I try uh, to do my little bit about be better about that and i see now you mentioned that you're going to work and you have a very beautiful dress and uh and blue flowers in your hair is this for a special uh yeah thing for work uh no it's just because the way that i work that i wear my clothes i I, you you will ask later about this. Everybody's fashionable, I think, yes. And it's just, everybody's different. It's, uh, I think it's uh, the way that I express myself. And basically, I think of me uh, as an artist. Mm -hmm. And I need to express my art. Basically, through my clothes, to my garments, and to my makeup and everything. No, no, no much makeup in summer, okay? No <laughs> too, too hard for the makeup. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I see, I see both of you have uh, really lived in, in different cities, very high fashion cities and experienced, uh, yeah, different uh, cultures and fashion through that. Uh, so it's kind of a nice bridge to the first topic I want to discuss, which is indeed about fashion and culture and, uh, you know, how it relates to a certain city or country. Um but first, I want to kind of get a bit of a definition from you guys. Um, does one of you want to tell me what is fashion? What does fashion actually mean? I think a fashion is to express yourself through your garment. Yeah, I agree with you. I think fashion is, uh, as Rico and the designer said, is a powerful way of communication. And I, yeah. I want I want to know a little bit like what it means to you and, and how you got in it in the in the first place. I think I got into it uh, from a young age. Um, I, I found it hard to speak myself of myself as a fashion designer. I used to say I make clothes mm -hmm. for some reason, even though I studied fashion design. Um, because I was surrounded by people who made clothes when I was a kid. Some of my parents' uh, friends were making clothes, so I sort of had that, that around me. 
but then I got into fashion when I moved to London, I guess. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was a little bit before that because I, I, I studied Italian at school. I went to an Italian school in Argentina mm-hmm. and we did a trip and we, we went to Italy for a month at the end uh, of school, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really struck me, being in Italy, in Milan and Florence and seeing all these beautiful people mm-hmm. all dressed up. I guess that had an impact yeah. in terms of fashion and not just making clothes. I wanted to ask you, you said that you um, didn't say you were a clothes designer. You said you, you made clothes. Yes. So <laughs> why do you think that is? Is it because it's such kind of a, you know, everyone's judging what you make. And if you put yourself up into that name, you, you wondered if you were worthy of it or, or how come you? you... I don't know. Maybe it took me a while to call myself a designer until I had my own store in Argentina. Mm-hmm. I was mostly designing and manufacturing. I did some manufacturing for others also, not just for my brand. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's how I saw myself. And then I opened my store and I changed as a designer also because I started to actually be in contact with the consumer. Mm-hmm. So I could actually understand what they were looking for, what they wanted. And I also changed the way I designed. Okay. It's interesting. I guess I felt more like a designer when I started being in touch with with the people who are buying my products. Yeah, with the customer. And uh, Teo, what about you? What does fashion really mean to you and, and why is it so important and how did you... Yeah, it, it started when I was a, a little kid also. Uh, I'm I'm a very timid person. You know, I, I look like, yes, but it's not. And I come from a very different cultures. My grandparents come from many different countries. And... I want to, as I said, I want to express that. In the beginning, I think my favorite, my first contact was to put together my grandfather's culture, he's from Egypt, and my grandmother's culture that she's from a uh, small city from the Amazon, let's say that. And I want to mix. I want people to know that I come from that. I want people, to, I want to express my root to my, and, and I cannot, and I was thinking because I remember that, that I was, I was, I want to show. And I asked my grandfather how I can show other people uh, where I come from, because I know just born in, in Caracas and I want to show because I feel close to Egypt. I feel close to the indigenous, indigenous in my country. And he said, so you can, you can make things, you can paint and also you can wear things and then the people will be curious about what you're wearing and maybe they will asking you or they will recognize oh that is from here and that is from that and that's it I think it's that this the main thing for me fashion is the best way for me to communicate with other people to send message without talking and this is something yeah. that I don't think maybe it's because I'm thinking too much on that, but it's also I always looking in other person how they were before start everything and it, it sent a lot of cash. Nice. So you're originally from Venezuela, but obviously have lived in a few other places and now uh, in Barcelona. Would you say you have the fashion sense of someone from Venezuela or from Barcelona? Do you do, Does your fashion kind of affiliate with a certain city? Yes and no. Not really, because I don't think my fashion evolved, but it's still I just get now some, I pick some detail from Catalonia I but I don't think influence me that much because it's true that Barcelona is a very fashionable city, but in a different way the the thing that I wear is different. Uh, but it's here is it's easy to find some things that is what is employing me because now I can I that was the most important thing I think when I moved. Sorry to go back. Uh, when I was living in Venezuela, I want to wear so many things, but I cannot get it there. It's a long time ago, okay? <laughs> and as that was the, my first impact was when I moved to New York, that I, I can, there I got weak or different things that I was crazy about it. And this is the thing happened when I moved to Barcelona. The here I can get some things that I cannot get in another. I don't like to sh- online shopping if I can avoid it. 
I prefer to pick up with my hands and mm -hmm. because I at first because uh, at the beginning it was because I like to see it and then for many other reasons. Tokyo um, definitely influenced me a lot. Yeah. Yes. But you're having already inside me, okay? Yeah. I think it's something like a, you have inside you. Uh, I compare fashion with alcohol mm -hmm. most of the time, you know? When you drink, most of the people say that you feel a little bit relaxed, and then you start to show more things about you. And sometimes you show something that you are not supposed to be. And then I think that it was inside you. Fashion is like that. You have something inside you, and then you hide it or not, and then you realize how can you show it that to other people through fashion or through alcohol or through whatever. That's what I think of fashion and alcohol are very close, very close, very, very close in that way. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you, uh, Luciana, about your... Yeah, your like fashion sense, if you would say you have a fashion sense from Buenos Aires or from London or as well, like Teo, you have kind of combined all together. I think I had different fashion senses throughout my life. They mm -hmm. have changed a lot. Uh, but when I started making clothes, um, I wore my clothes for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and I guess when I stopped... In a way, I lost that identity, mm -hmm. which I am still finding hard to find. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I guess I'm changing my style all the time since I've moved back to the UK. Uh, and I guess I've become more, um, in a way, conservative in the okay. way I dress. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even though London has always been for me in my mind, when I was a kid and came here as a student, London was a bit different. People were more were more having fun with clothes. If you go to to, the, to East London now, you will still see that, but you would see it everywhere at the time. And now I feel like everything is a little bit more uniformed here, mm -hmm. except for the East, where all the creatives are, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but I guess I live in the West, <laughs> and yeah, we're a bit more boring in okay. this part of London, I guess. But yeah, I feel it's it's a bit more conservative since I moved back to London this time. Yeah. Yeah. And I find it interesting with some people I see that you can really see the fashion in the street changing. Like all of a sudden now, for example, everyone was wearing sneakers, like Vans trainers. And there was a time when I was wearing trainers since I was young because I was always a tomboy, you know, and all my friends would kind of wear more feminine dolly shoes or high heels and now everyone's wearing trainers and it's kind of certain things just progress and you can see when things are in fashion but then other people will always retain their fashion from a young age like my wardrobe for example is the same as it was when I was 18 and I don't really keep up with the fashion I just stay how I was do you you know do you know why that is that some people are very like keeping with the times and other people are very scared to experiment uh, well as we say before fashion is a big component of your personality uh, when you are scared to experiment about fashion you are scared to experiment about life in general yeah but uh, it's what I think. It's just, uh, personally, uh, I think that uh, it's hard to explain because it's not like if you were classic, you are you are just classic person. It's a little bit more than that. And it's if you are trending, I think that everybody have, uh, especially for me that I grow in the 90s when the fashion industry was more tyrannita right now. You know, until the... 2000, we can say that every decade has a, a special way to wear. Everybody, almost everybody wear the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, the 40s. After 2000, uh, the industry go a little bit free and wild, thing that I thank God mm -hmm. or whoever. Uh, and people start to combine different style, different things. Not everybody, and you are know that trending anymore you don't have to fo crazy follow uh, the last season to 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 be yourself 
And it's true that some people it's really interesting because yes, I have so I I, I have some friends that were the exactly same since when he was twelve. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah, that is amazing. But it say a lot of his personality too, a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how you can see how someone is often by the clothes that they're wearing because of their style, but also because they didn't change their style. Um, and one other thing on this topic I want to ask is. Um, yeah, because there's a very much a fashion sense affiliated with cities. You know, uh, there's the London fashion versus the New York fashion versus the Tokyo fashion versus the Barcelona, and they have these kind of cultures attached to them. Why is that? I think the fashion cities start in Europe for us. This is a big difference when you're talking about here and there, Asia or Middle East, Orient. It's a different world, okay? For our world, at the beginning, we were alone, okay? Europe was everything, and then America. And that's why all the fashion start here for us. Could be, because the first uh, high couture or the first big house started in Europe for us. And well, if you see the most fashionable city, or uh, we consider it those most fashionable cities are those that have the cut walls, the fashion week. London, Paris, Milano, New York. New York is the youngest one, but it's, but if you go to the other continent, to the other side, is Shanghai, Kuala Lumpur, Tokyo. Uh, fashion capital have a major influence in trends too, but I think it's changed all the time, especially now that everything is super fast. And every year, uh, all the fashion capital are ranked, but it's the, the rank or, or how you we rate it is basically in the fashion week. And and why, let's take example, uh, Milan you mentioned is like super fashionable and Rome is not knowing to be fashionable at all like in my in my out, outside perspective why milan why are these fashion capitals the fashion capitals what's the history behind that tradition they start first friend uh, paris and uh, milan and london start first I, I don't know if Luciana is agree with me, but she said yes. <laughs> I think it's basically history and tradition and you know the human being we don't question many things that much. We just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. And then why London? Of course, London produces uh, Stella McCartney, Alexander McQueen, uh, the punk, many trending stuff. Mm-hmm. But why London now? Because it was there before. I, it's, it's what I think. Why London, Milano, Paris? Because it was there before. Actually, when you go to Paris, me personally... I don't think in Paris is fashionable a lot at all. Mm-hmm. It's just normal city. It's not. It's a big difference when you go to London. Well, do, you live in London. You know better than me. You can see oh, Mark and Spencer styles that I love to see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you can see this crazy Westwood style, and then you can see really different styles. Also, you say most of the time or many times you can say, oh, that people could be from London. But how many times do you say that people could be from Paris? Mm-hmm. I, I think in a way that's a bit what Paris is when it comes to the fashion week also. It's like the more, it's like the heart of fashion week, right? Um, and it is a bit more conservative in that sense. That's why I came to London instead of Paris when I was a kid, because I thought, well, all my favorite designers had graduated here. Uh, it wasn't Stella at the time, but Galliano was my... Galliano, yes. I loved him. And, and then Shalayan, who is my fashion hero and has been for a really long time. But and then McQueen. I came on the year McQueen painted Shalom Harlow in the, in the catwalk. So that was like an iconic moment in my life. And all these people brought me to London, even though they were working in Paris. When they made it, they went to Paris. They had been fashion educated here. Uh, And I think, in a way, that's one of the things I show uh, during the tours. Uh, Places keep their identity. Uh, And that happens to Milan and to Paris. And even though globalization is a thing right now, we still have an identity in every city. And it doesn't go away. 
even though it sort of merges into other styles because, well, we, we can now see styles from other cities uh, live uh, with social media and, and technology, thankfully. Um, I do believe that places still have an identity throughout the centuries even. Uh, if we go back centuries, uh, we will see the difference between Henry VIII's wives, for example, uh, mm -hmm. between Catherine of Aragon, who came from uh, Spain and was yeah. hugely Catholic, and Anne Boleyn, who came from Paris, actually, and was very sexy and a completely different personality. And the way she dressed played a part uh, mm -hmm. in what happened to, well, English history after that also, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess you also mentioned, uh, you know, some of your inspirational uh, designers and everything that are affiliated to certain cities, so to London or Paris. And then you have those people inspiring the people of the city. And then I guess you have the fashion schools, the most fashion schools would be in those cities. So it's like a circle, right? So it's hard for another city to suddenly get that tag yeah. as the fashion city in a country because all of everything is generated in, in one city with all of that thing. So I want to I want to move a little bit on to fast fashion. Um, and it's very interesting, Luciana, you told me you had a slow fashion brand. So yeah. I think you will have a lot to to say in this. So before we yeah delve in, I, I'm new to the, the topic in general. So do you want to tell me kind of what is fast fashion and why or is it the way we're consuming? Uh, clothes now uh, by a fast fashion? To make it simple, fast fashion is simply um, sampling catwalk or celebrity trends these days and manufacturing them in a very affordable or cheap and fast way uh, to make it straight to the shops. So it's two things. It's having new trends frequently, so always a new trend, and it's having the clothes produced fast and cheap. Yeah. In a way, yeah. you're interpreting... Uh, the big brands trends mm -hmm. and producing them in a way that is affordable mm -hmm. and producing them fast also and why why is that the thing that we're we're doing now what, what brought us to this point the industry okay so it just kind of uh pushed it on us and wanted to always say that we're behind the times if we don't have the clothes of just now kind of thing I think it was, uh, not now, long time ago, because I remember when I was a kid, when I was a teenager more, uh, that you want to wear what it was fashion. Everybody was, you see the TV, and the time was the TV, okay? I'm, I'm a little bit old now. No, not that young anymore. And I remember that, I, I remember this particularly when I was in high school, that it was this advertising when the girl was wearing Adidas, blue with orange and next day i was mama mama i wanted everybody because you want to be part of the group you want to be accepted in society because you want to be isolated and that's one of the things is that you wear what everybody else wear thinking uh, that you will accept and also um thinking that you are original and trending, but the truth is that you aren't. Because mm -hmm. as soon as you wear what everybody is wearing because it's trending, you are not trending anymore. That's basically what hipsters are, right? They're supposed to be <laughs> yes. hipsters and cool because they're different, but now half the population is a hipster, so what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. I don't think there are many cool and different people these days, to be honest. Yeah. No, because since the 2000s, as Theo said, uh, the trend has been to be to dress in whatever way you want mm -hmm. and i guess in a way it has stopped being a, a way to express yourself and it started being a way to look a bit crazy if you know what i mean i i i don't want to go back uh, to you know down memory lane uh, mm -hmm. and, and think about when i was 20 years old in london but i have mm -hmm. seen this change happen and I do, see, I do see a lot of people who look uniformed, even though they look creative in the way they dress. They still look mm -hmm. uniformed. It's not like they're having fun with their clothes. No. They're just copying other people. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's one of the main changes I have seen uh, lately in terms of fashion. Yeah, I, I remember the, uh, last year we went to the Cat Wall in Barcelona 
and a special one because it was for young people and I were I was interested in see what just I was more interested in see how the people was there in that mode in the cut in the cut wall. And it made me really sad because I see all these young people all wearing this black hat. Almost everybody and everybody was like, Oh, I'm so original, but then you see, darling, you see everybody's wearing the same hat as you. Mm-hmm. No original anymore, it's not trending. They don't try, no, everybody, but I see many in this special occasion. I see many young people, they were not looking for something original, special. They were just like a lamb fall on the shepherd. Mm-hmm. I think it happened a lot right now. Uh, internet is one of the one is one of you can blame internet for that also because we have all these. Uh, fashion influencer or celebrities or whatever that everybody's fallen blind. What about um, what about labels? I remember when I was younger, it used to be the thing to have the, you know, Hollister or Playboy or whatever. <laughs> and now I feel like that's the thing that you shouldn't have, right? That uh, you don't really want to show the the label of your, your design. Actually, it's the other way around. I think yeah. the logo is back. Yeah? Oh, yeah. my God, I'm so behind, if you, you know? If you look at Burberry, for example, they have completely revamped their image, and it's mm-hmm. all about the logo now. Oh. And all these luxury brands, uh, not all of them, if you if you watch Bottega, that's the no-logo brand, mm-hmm. but but many brands who are targeting the Gen Z market, mm-hmm. um, they are actually using logos. Yeah, we can have everywhere. Louis Vuitton. Yeah. For example, you can see the LV. Oh, we have, I think, and maybe Luciana showed this, uh, this joke about uh, Ralph Lauren logo, that it was like this and then like this and then like yeah. this. Now you need yeah. to hold the logo. <laughs> yeah. To put in uh, the they're yeah. making it bigger and bigger. Yeah. I think for me, with these kind of things like Louis Vuitton and everything, I see so much fake ones when I'm abroad in countries and for me, I just the places that they sell the the fake things look so cheap and horrible that even when I don't know if it's real or fake because I think some of the fake ones can be very realistic, you know. So yeah. for me, it kind of all looks cheap because people do the fake ones so well. Yeah, but most of the people it's no like a following a trend or trending. They just want to they want other people to know. I I. About, about this Louis Vuitton and I wearing like this and wear the Louis Vuitton because I know I want everybody to know that I bought it because it means position, it means culture, it means many other things. Mm-hmm. When it is a fake. Yeah, you many times you can you, you don't know when it's a fake or when it's original one. And I think even in going on to that, like before you always thought people wanted to show off their money and people without money would kind of try to dress as nicely as possible. But now is it a thing that people actually want to show off their status as not being super rich and they're, you know, maybe a little bit more alternative working class, but that's a good thing now. That's a cool thing. Is that, is that something that's happening? I think both things are happening. Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing cycles that happen all over. Uh, throughout history Uh, this happened before uh, when the Victorians after the Industrial Revolution um, many people became like middle class and had money to spend they wanted to show that they had that money and they started buying things and that's how department stores thrived in London for example there Mm. were so many department stores there's nothing now compared to the 1800s and early 1900s Um, and now it's happening with China also so many people are so more well-off now, and they are targeted by brands with mm-hmm. these logos because they want to show uh, how much money they can spend in these trendy pieces, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then there's um, another tribe, if we can call it that. Yeah, no, no, no. That I is actually acting the way you say. Um, uh, the, the minimalists, for example. Mm-hmm. These are people that can afford nice things but actually choose... Uh, not to show them off, mm-hmm. even though they might be showing off in a way. Mm-hmm. So we're all showing off, I guess, uh, because we are we are all part of tribes. Yeah, and we identify with 
the way we buy things and the, the, the things we buy as well. And I totally agree with, with, with Luciana. I mean, it's always, but they think that it, it was always like this. It's some people that want to show how much money I have, and it's some people that don't want to show how much money I have. And also other people, do, I don't show how much money I have, but... I am showing in it anyway. <laughs> I, I'm wearing this simple T-shirt that other people would notice. Either way, you don't know about brands or whatever, you can notice the quality of mm -hmm. the design. Uh, for example, most of the design from the Jap many Japanese designers or from the North Europe, the designs are very simple, but very expensive. And then if you say, yes, I'm very simple. I'm wearing this uh, 1,000 euros simple t-shirt making with <laughs> cotton uh, that is natural cotton and whatever. But in one way, I still, and it's other people that just don't care. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually something you see a lot here. We have some incredible, incredibly expensive uh, streetwear brands in Soho, for example. Very trendy shops that sell things like, well, one of the most famous is probably Supreme that sells... 600 pound um, hoodies. <gasps> Is that how expensive they are? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But there's loads of brands that sell clothes that look like you're going jogging or, you know, running. Mm -hmm. And they are really expensive. And if you are, are actually within that tribe, you will, you will know what other people are wearing. I know there's loads of fake Supremes also. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's not the best example, but there's loads of, really expensive brands that sell uh, sweatshirts and, and trainers here in London. Sorry, I remember, for example, in the 80s when Yves Saint Laurent made the first jogging suit. It was a jogging suit, but it was a Yves Saint Laurent mm -hmm. jogging suit. It was black. It's a classic one now, black with a Yves Saint Laurent in gold and a small line, gold lines. That is a classic now, but, well, I don't know how much it costs right now, but... It was like it wasn't cheap at all. And, and it's a thing. Yeah. And I think another thing you mentioned that you want to show, yeah, how much money you have, but people can really see what uh, hobbies or let's say sports you have with your fashion. You can tell very quickly if someone is a skateboarder without a skateboard or yeah. if they're a rock climber <laughs> without the equipment or a tennis player because of the, the clothes they wear, then you can, it may be a way of showing like, I want to kind of meet other like-minded people. So you mm -hmm. dress like that. It's kind of, it's very smart actually to do this. I have this expression with a lady from Russia. And we were in a fashion experience, but she asked me to go Chanel. I normally don't go Chanel because I go to the place. And now she asked me, she asked me, she asked me. I don't know we go there because she want to. And... She put this Chanel, and it was super tight on her. I don't know how she breathed. And all the, the, the ladies were like, oh, no, it looks so good on you. And I was like, God, it looks so terrible on you. <laughs> I say, well, it doesn't look maybe other size and whatever. And then finally she... Well, she bought it and then she asked me to leave that is if I can put the price in some place in the back also in the front to show how much it was oh. she wants everybody to know that she was paying that and I was like I'm, I'm, I was praying please 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 and then she went like that we went out from the shop and then she was the price showing there Everybody, you have to go a little bit closer, but you can see how much it, it, it was. She doesn't have any regret for that. I don't know. So let's um, discuss a little bit away from um, fast fashion and move on to a bit of sustainable fashion. Um, yeah, and I kind of want to know if the, if the garment industry can be sustainable and, and what it would take to be sustainable. How do you make a piece of clothing sustainably? <sighs> Luciana can start. She has a slow... Yeah, of course. It's a, it's a hard question, really, because sustainability means so many things. Sustainability could mean using the right materials, uh, manufacturing in a way that doesn't damage uh, the planet, uh, people's livelihoods, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is quite challenging challenging to achieve all of, all of those at the same time. I know many brands who try to be completely sustainable, but being 100% sustainable right now, it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess sustainability could mean many things. Mm-hmm. If, if, you, if you care about the planet and, and not and, and landfill, um, for example, cotton production, which is one of the most damaging things on earth, mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing, but then we have to keep in mind how workers are living, mm-hmm. uh, the working conditions. That that is sustainability for me. Also, it's not just mm-hmm. the planet, but the people in it. So I don't know if I've really described what sustainability is, but I, I don't think it's just a simple question or, or answer to give. But how did you? If do you want to give an example from kind of A to Z of how you produced a garment, or if you have an example of a company that produces a piece of clothing as, um, you know, as sustainably as, as they could have? Uh, yeah, I can give you an example for that. Uh, we have in Barcelona a shoes brand that made all the shoes with a pineapple skin. It's really small one because they don't have all this as, as a small brand. This is one of the biggest problems that, uh, that the sustainable ones are just small ones. They make... A, Totally sustainable because it's a pineapple scheme. But as I said, Luciana said before, to make that brand sustainable, they make a small production. Because mm-hmm. making bigger is not sustainable anymore or not as much as it was before. It's not easy. It's no, no, no easy at all to make a, that, uh, a brand sustainable. Uh, I was on... My friends bought the other day a Primark. I think both of you know that brand. Mm-hmm. A Primark Thomas for 10 euros. I always say, don't buy that. And then she said, no, but she was happy. She see, it's sustainable cotton. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, if you buy a 10 euros pyjama for 10 euros, eh, something is wrong there. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe the cotton is okay, but they don't say anything about the dyeing process. They don't say anything about how much they pay to the customer. They don't say anything how they bring in here, this other process. And then it's it's a little bit tricky mm-hmm. to go sustainable. And then you are, uh, and the people, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's really, really hard because the fashion industry is one of the worst for take care of the planet. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not just the planet, it's also the workers. Mm-hmm. And then we have here one of the biggest problems is the, 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 how we dyeing the clothes and everything. When you make them bigger, I don't know how you can do it. I really, I don't see it. So to make, if we suddenly want to change, um, you know, say they put laws in place against this kind of unsustainable clothing, we would have to get rid of the concept of having new trends every season, right? I'm, I'm not sure that would be the answer to this. I think the answer is to make less clothes. I mean, you can follow trends, but I, I think sustainability and fashion are, are very tricky together because mm-hmm. the, the, the main reason for fashion existing is new trends mm-hmm. and they have to be fast. Mm-hmm. And I think they are fast, especially now, because everything is fast. Uh, we have social media with TikTok yeah. and, and Instagram stories that are 15 seconds long. Uh, and we have Twitter as a source of news because it's fast. And we don't even care if it's true. We just go there and follow the news on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So we want everything to be right now and fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about most people. I, I know some people aren't interested in this, but there's a reason why Twitter is so big and TikTok is so big. I mm-hmm. mean, how many people have downloaded TikTok during the, the lockdown? Uh, so I think we live in this way and fashion just seizes mm-hmm. the moment, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't really think it's just the industry imposing something on us. It's, it's us actually choosing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I wouldn't, I would never judge someone uh, that buys cheap clothes because most people can't afford anything else. So the reason Primark and H&M and cheap brands exist sometimes is just that yeah. many people just can't afford anything else. And that's one of the trickiest parts uh, about sustainability. 
that is not affordable? Not just fashion. Everything that has to be sustainable is not affordable. Not right now. I mean, yeah. that's not a problem we would have. I can go and buy something sustainable if I want to, for example. But most people can't. Someone working uh, as a waitress here in London just can't make a living. I so guess. They, they can't even think about sustainability. Yeah. I'm not saying waiters don't care about sustainability. That's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying anyone who makes a minimum wage in any city in the world can hardly afford sustainable things, except for vintage clothes, for example. But then you would have to buy something that is not new, that is not just yours. I guess the thing as well is to weigh up how, if you buy something from Primark, how many washes does it last until it's completely unwearable? I, I was reading before this podcast, uh, doing a little bit of research and, and read that on average, a person only wears an item of clothing seven times in their wardrobe. Mm-hmm. which is crazy for me. So, yeah, I, I guess it's as well, like how long it lasts. If you buy one shirt that's 100 euros, but it lasts you 10 years, probably better than buying shirts for 10 years from Primark. You'll probably still be cheaper, right? Well, think of the 87% of the clothes finishing a landfill, okay? Yeah. 87. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's what Luciana said. It's very hard when you're working for it that you're thinking, I want to buy sustainable. And also, is um, let's talk about the people who can afford it or to know. Uh, for a teenager, that maybe they can afford it because they say, okay, I keep my money, uh, save my money, and I bought this, I bought this that is 50 euros instead of five for ten but they want to have different clothes mm-hmm. all the time they yeah. want to i don't want to wear the same thing today and tomorrow because it's also saying a lot about you we still in that society that we say oh you look her she's wearing the same thing that yesterday or the same dress that she wore for the party or the wedding for that we're still thinking that we have to change first how we're thinking about we don't have to judge other people. This is one of the, I think it's the first things that we have to go to go into sustainable is change how we think, mm-hmm. especially women. We are very bitch with other women. <laughs> and it's, it's, you, Luciana, know, you must know also uh, that you think, oh, she's wearing the same thing that yesterday? Really? <laughs> God. <laughs> and what we think, she doesn't have taste. She doesn't have money. Maybe that's true. And then if we're still thinking like that, if we're still judging people for where the same thing is, we don't go, we're still in the same cycle. It's the same with second hand. We understand second hands as a something that somebody else used and I don't have other things I have to wear it. But we don't feel it like us because this is what the people say. It is a small proportion of people also, like me, I wear a lot of second hands because I wear vintage. I wear something with history. But it's not because it's cheaper, because it's most of the time it's not. It's just because it's old. That's what they, they need to change because I think secondhand clothing is really a way forward and it's becoming fashionable now. But they need to make it affordable. You didn't pay anything. You, you know, we can just donate our clothes and then they should be very cheap in my in my view. They should not be expensive. They should be affordable for everyone and that would really help make us buy more sustainably, right? And also I think that you have to stand the life of your clothes. You have to take care of your clothes. Most of the people, just, just it's what you say, you, you're washing 10 times and it's waste. But how are you washing it? Yeah. You just throw it into the washing machine and then you don't care. Yeah. It dies quickly. It's yeah. interesting what you, you were saying about vintage because one of the things I see here, um, I do take some of my guests to vintage stores, especially in the East End. And what I've noticed is that these days, the places where you can actually find affordable gems vintage gems or pre-loved gems uh, are the charity shops exactly. here in London. 
uh, vintage shops are not affordable anymore. And mm-hmm. some of them even are producing their own lines that look vintage but aren't. <gasps> it, it is very weird how things are turning out. Oh, Many brands, awful. vintage brands uh, here are becoming brands. They're not just places that sell secondhand uh, clothes and they start producing themselves. Mm-hmm. And they are sort of affordable, so there's nothing sustainable about that, I'm sure. No, in, in my, uh, I'm from a small village in Scotland and we have a charity shop there that's just run by volunteers and there's a 50 pence rail, a one pound rail and a two pound rail. And I think one time, then there's like for the more fancy, expensive stuff, five pound is like the max. And my friend bought a blazer for five pounds, like a very nice suit jacket. Mm -hmm. And he found five pounds in his pocket. (laughs) So he actually had it for her. But this is the, yeah, this is how they should be. They should be money for charity and they should be very, you know, cheap and affordable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here in Barcelona, we have like a two kind of, second-hand shop, like the one that are super expensive because they are vintage, and the other one, like a Humana, that is a kind of charity house. Actually, it's weird, but the cheapest place in the in, in, that I know to buy vintage is New York. Really? Everything is super expensive, okay? But vintage is at least is cheaper than Barcelona or London. Wow, nice. Yeah, I, Yes, I discovered that, and it was like, well, that's weird. So good, uh, good tips for any listeners that are from <laughs> in New York, <laughs> and they have amazing things. But Barcelona, for example, vintage here is, is, is as expensive as London. Yeah, and it, it's it's weird because you can go to the shop, and then they're having all clean and you know iron and everything, but you can go to the flea market. For the basically the Marrot guy having there from one euros that you have to look in for. They are dirty, they smell bad, but it's the same clothes that you buy in the shop. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The difference yeah. is no, you have to wash it when you go to your home and I don't. But for that one euros piece, they just then you buy it in the shop for 45 euros. I want to touch upon a little bit, we mentioned the sweatshop industry, um, which is obviously when they have people work for way under the yeah the living wage. Um, often Bangladesh is a place where they do it a lot, right? I'm not sure. Uh, India as well. Malaysia, China. Yeah. Yeah, Pakistan. 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 Southeast Asia. Yeah, and uh, there's been a lot more light shed on this industry recently and what kind of uh, suppliers, you know, uh, get garments from here. But what would happen if we, you know, if we just stop using sweatshops and say, okay, we want to produce more sustainably? Well, I'm wondering, will the people there, you know, do they rely on this work? Is Are they in trouble if we stop doing it? Or, or what can be the solutions there? Yeah, I think that's... I don't think the solution is to not use the sweatshops anymore, but to change the way we do things. The industry needs to change Mm -hmm. and adapt to, well, something that has been put more clearly in front of us uh, after all this crisis. We are more aware of how contaminating everything that we were doing was, because when everything stopped, London was sunny every day, for example. Really? Yeah. Wow. We almost had no rain. And then when st- things start going back to life, uh, we suddenly go back to the normal London weather, yeah. which might be a coincidence, but I don't think it is completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, the skies were blue and bright and it was, it was weird. So I yeah. guess in a way we've been lo- in lockdown uh, and talking about sustainability a lot. And that is something that is here to stay. I yeah. don't think it is intrinsically... <laughs> Within us these days, uh, I think it, it's going to take a, a while. Probably the younger generations will be more aware of this, aware. Uh-huh. genuinely. Uh, because as still was saying, kids these days, yeah, they can tell you, yeah, I would love, I would prefer to buy from a sustainable brand. When they have to decide, they will go for whatever they want. Uh-huh. And I don't think sustainability will play a part. Yeah. The final decision 
But going back to sweatshops, uh, they are suffering right now because of COVID. Uh, many huge brands uh, decided to cancel orders that had already been produced. And that means many, especially women, yep. will be out of work and will have to go back to the start, in which many cases, in many cases, it means uh, going back to abuse or to, um, well, lots of yeah, horrible shows. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's a very, very delicate matter, I think. So yeah. getting rid of sweatshops is not the answer, I think, because yeah. these people have no other choice. And sometimes the only choice they have is much worse. Yeah, um, uh, it is really sad that the factory are really dangerous and they have really poor conditions and low salaries. But the reality that they will have without it is 10 times worse. That's the thing, because sometimes if you look, you know, you say... If you're American or British and you want to get a clothing that is um, ethical, you say, okay, look for made in England or made in America, you know, made in USA, then you know that there's no sweatshops there. It's like, yes, but if we all did that, then the countries that rely on the fashion industry for their, you know, for their living are not going to have work. So it's very bad work but they need work, so it, it needs to have some way of, as you mentioned, of improving their conditions, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it should be a mix of us as consumers demanding companies to do the right thing, companies doing the right thing, which is the trickiest part, I guess, because they are, after all, after profit, and then regulations. Governments have to regulate these things. If that doesn't happen, I don't think sustainability is that easy to achieve. Yeah. Thinking that the fashion industry is the fashion, the industry that produces more money when you get it, a more profit. Let's take in uh, one one pant, they or one brand. Not a, I don't want to talk about any brand in specific, but they bought the clothes for kilograms. Mm -hmm. They pay five cents for one kilograms of jeans. Oh. It, Jeans later on in the shop will be 35 euros. This is the price for brands like fast brand, okay? But you, you still be paying five cents or 10 cents for a luxury brand, mm -hmm. okay? Then in the, the, the same pant costs you the kilogram, 10 cents, but then you, you sell each of them for 1,020 euros. You, and you can see quickly how much money you get for that. Because it's true that before, between the factory and the shop, it is a, little, a, a lot of things. But you don't pay that much money to the transport and you don't pay that much money to the people who work on, the, on that shop. Mm -hmm. It's a really, it's that you want to be rich, you have to go into fashion industry and be a, a really big brand. They don't care. That's that's one of the reasons that I don't like to buy fast because they don't care at all about the condition of the worker, the condition of the environment. To produce that much, that quickly, you need to contaminate and then you need to fuck a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, I, don't, I think Luciana must be agree with me about this. I mean, the, we have to change the way that we think. If mm -hmm. not, nothing will happen. But then I see an opportunity here because um, I think this is a great chance for small brands to actually get straight to the consumer and not having so many intermediaries because mm -hmm. intermediaries are what makes everything more expensive and complicated in a way. So I know big brands function in a way, but this is the chance for small brands to actually reach the consumer directly. Mm -hmm. Not just because social media is, is huge and it's <laughs> the most democratic way we have found to, to actually reach the customer, but also because we have been uh, confined for so long, uh, people are listening. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a great chance, I, I guess, for small brands to thrive. Uh, well, we have heard how um, local shopping is, is growing right now mm -hmm. because of the conditions in which we're living today. And 
And that's something that, Luciana, you mentioned, we as consumers need to call out the brick brands and demand better um, conditions. And by that, I don't see it meaning just having to call and email. Actually, the rebellion can be by buying by small brands, boycotting the big brands. And when they see the numbers going up by the small producers and down by the big brands, that will in turn make them have to change the way they do things, right? Absolutely. But it has to be genuine. I believe that because there's a lot of fakeness around these days of people saying one thing and doing another uh, just because it's the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't that doesn't change things. So if we're really talking about genuinely changing things, we have to be serious about yeah. our demands, I guess, as consumers. Yeah. yeah, we have to understand that be sustainable or be right is not a trend. It's not. I'm trending because I'm sustainable because now that is trending. No. And speaking about that, this trending, sustainable fashion is trending kind of brings to the question if sustainable fashion a case of class or culture is this something that's kind of um yeah i want to talk is it is affordable like can it be affordable for everyone and is this something that's just a cultural trend or is this going to stick what do you think about that we have to hope i've been in other countries in south america or in china and they don't care Mm -hmm. they don't know they don't know. I was doing some kind of things in, in in Colombia and in Brazil, and I was asking the girl that I was with, where you put the plastic, where you recycle? And she was like, what? Throw in there. Who cares? Mm-hmm. They don't have that culture. And then, yes, recycling, I think, is something cultural mm-hmm. that you have to, and then I hope, that and it's sad because it's like, again we we went to back to the beginning. If you just have time to work for it, you don't care about recycling. You don't care about sorry, lady. I have to eat. I mm-hmm. I, I cannot I, I cannot recycle. I cannot buy sustainable things. I barely can buy food. And and talking about uh, the class side of things. We were talking about, you know, sustainable fashion being expensive and just for people that afford it. So those people that can afford Chanel and Louis Vuitton, are they going to buy sustainable fashion? Are these brands sustainable? Well, no. No. (laughs) The the quick answer is not really. But uh, I'll give you an example of luxury brands. Uh, The Louis Vuitton group has just appointed Stella McCartney as her as their representative in all sustainability things, I guess, all things sustainable. Um, so she's sort of a, an infiltrate in the group trying to achieve certain uh, goals in terms mm-hmm. of sustainability. She was actually a partner of their competitors, uh, Kering, mm-hmm. and she left a couple of years ago, last year, I think, and... Now she has joined Louis Vuitton, the, the group, I mean, not, not the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sustainability is something that is here to stay in a way. I do believe that these days is more wishful thinking and marketing, but future generations, and we're not talking about, of course, the people who just can't think about anything else than eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people who are actually buying things, future generations will probably have this more inside them mm-hmm. uh, i'm not sure we're gonna see uh, sustainability completely in our lifetime but mm-hmm. it will be it, it will it, we will get there eventually and it's uh it's important that we educate the future generations i mm-hmm. guess i was seeing as well discussing about uh, luxury brands i can't remember which one maybe you will know has recently announced that they will um have less seasons so I think you have four or five uh, seasons on the catwalk and one announced they're actually going to be cutting one or two to kind of Gucci Gucci yes that's the one so that's a that's a step forward as well do you think um I guess it is but we will have to wait and see what they do because uh, since everything is so fast these days uh they might start doing more things 
So the way they do these things, like more, I don't know, um, PR and marketing actions, events, pop-up shops, uh, you know, all these things, uh, we use loads of resources for this also. Mm-hmm. So I guess we will have to pay attention to how they start trying to sell their products because a brand at the end of the day, fashion brand, uh, is, is not, is not all about sustainability. It's about profit. Mm-hmm. So they will have to still do marketing and PR, uh, actions to sell. Yeah. So even if they don't do, I don't know, eight shows a, a year, they will still have to get catch the customer's attention in a way. That could be a marketing trick also. That's the thing. It's <laughs> called greenwashing when they, they show you that this is, they're doing all these sustainable great things, but it's a way to them to get like, oh, I'm going to buy this now because they're sustainable. So I think kind of, um, yeah, rounding the, the conversation up a little bit is, um, yeah, maybe you can both share some tips and tricks for the listeners on how they can you know make uh even small changes in their life um to be a more kind of ethical or sustainable you know fashion person uh in these t- days and times yeah i think you have to make sure uh, your old clothes live again you know mm-hmm. like okay, i don't want to wear this anymore then do give it to other people who will wear it. Uh, you have to choose wise, but and look after your clothes. Buy into smart materials, and I think it extend the life of your clothes. And the most important, realize about sustainability is no a trend. I I will cite a, a British designer called Vivian Westwood, <laughs> who, uh, who urges us to. Buy less, choose well, and make it last. Short and simple. I like it. (laughs) Cool. Well, I think um, definitely I learned a lot today. Um, I think I have a little bit more, yeah, information now (laughs) in the the industry. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll find some more charity stops uh, nearby that I can uh, buy cheap and um, secondhand clothing. And uh, yeah, it was lovely to to speak to you guys on on this subject and you're both very knowledgeable and wonderful hosts. And uh, Teo, she's a a host in Barcelona who does have some experiences about fashion, but also other tours as well. And uh, Luciana is in London. So both of them are very good people to hit up if you're in these cities and want to do experiences. Cool. It was lovely talking to you guys. Yeah, thank you very much for giving us the opportunity. Perfect. Have a great day. You too. Thank you too. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.